seats so we can begin. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> we're taking a season and, and uh, Pastor Ross will be preparing for the Greece trip. And so I will be uh, taking a few Wednesdays for a while and going through the parables of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, I've been keeping it a secret, but I'm going to let you know. We're going to be in Matthew 13 tonight, Matthew 13, starting with verse 1. So uh, while you're making your way there, uh, I'll open us up with prayer, and then we'll be beginning. Lord, we do just pause now, God. It's so great to uh, enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. It's so great to be surrounded with your people. Uh, Lord, we love being here. Uh, most of all, God, we love learning of you, God, and, and finding out who you are, and we only do that through your word. And God, we just pray tonight that you would speak so clearly. Um, Lord, use me as your tool here, God, uh, but use your, your word to pierce through our hearts and do what you have meant it to accomplish tonight. Pray that you would just illuminate your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 17, we'll start off by uh, I'll read through the, chat, the uh, section for you, and then we'll come back, and we're, we're going to focus in on one main point tonight. So let's read through it first together. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 and 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And the next verse, verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though, saying, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, 
and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So the main focus tonight is gonna be the purpose of parables, the purpose of parables. And there's two reasons I see in this, this text for the purpose of parables. And the first one is to reveal, to reveal more knowledge of the kingdom of God. And the second purpose is to conceal, to conceal. So before we get started, we do need to look a little bit at the context of this section of scripture because uh, this is taking place at a very integral part in the book of Matthew. So let's look at the book of Matthew. I'll give you a brief background before we begin. Matthew was written to Jewish uh, or people with a Jewish background. And so this is people who grew up in Judaism. They were familiar with everything uh, uh, that just ring true of, of uh, Judaism and and he's writing to them specifically. Now, by this point, there were Gentile believers or non-Jews who had come to believe in Christ as well, but he was focusing in on uh, the Jews. Now, scholars believe that the book of Matthew was written somewhere uh, between 50 and 55 AD. So Jesus dying in 33 AD, the temple being destroyed in 70 AD, we know it was after Jesus and before the temple. And so somewhere in there, the book of Matthew is written, uh, written by the disciple and apostle Matthew. Now, when looking at the book of Matthew, the best way to view it is to view it as if it was written to answer this question. Here's the question. The Jews would have asked, if Jesus was the promised Messiah, why didn't he bring the promised kingdom? You see, in Judaism, they're taught uh, the prophecy about the Messiah who was to come. And then the, the most exciting part is that he's gonna come and rule and reign and uh, get rid of the Romans, right? He's gonna uh, have a perfect, um, perfect kingdom with no corruption. He's gonna be in charge. Uh, everything's gonna be blessed. He's gonna make everything good again and right again and true. And so that's the exciting part. So they would say, yes, the Messiah is gonna come and we can't wait for him to come because he's bringing his kingdom. So you can imagine that uh, Jews who were believers and Jews who weren't believers still had the same question. If Jesus was this promised Messiah, then why not the promised kingdom? And this is how Matthew answers that question through the book of, of uh, Matthew. Number one, Matthew establishes Jesus was the Messiah. And this is how he proves it. Number one, genealogy. He says, look, Matthew chapter one starts off with a, a long list of here's where Jesus came from. He was uh, in the line that the Messiah was going to come from. So that's point one. Second point, he fulfilled prophecy in the book of Matthew more than any other gospel. You see Matthew saying, this was done to fulfill what had been said through the prophet. And he would say that he'd, be, uh, uh, that he'd be called this, that he would do this. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Uh, all the way down the list, there's all these times that Matthew's saying, just like the prophecy, Christ fulfilled it. And this prophecy, Christ fulfilled it. 
So that's his second main point that's emphasized throughout the book of Matthew. And finally, his final just uh, bringing this all home is, is he talks about the miracles that Jesus did and that were witnessed by all kinds of people. And so for those three reasons, Matthew is answering and saying, number one, he is the Messiah. Now, number two, he answers the question, well, then why not the promised kingdom? Why didn't he bring his kingdom? Why are we still under Roman rule? What went wrong? What happened? And this is his answer. He was rejected. He was rejected. That's why the kingdom isn't here physically yet. You rejected him. And so Matthew lays out the genealogies we talked about. He talks about all the fulfillment of prophecy and he talks about these miracles and healings Jesus was doing. And this plays out through the beginning chapters of Matthew and the story is told sequentially from start uh, to finish. And we get to this point where all of a sudden something starts changing. We start seeing that rejection and Matthew illuminates that. He's bringing that out. The rejection, and the rejection comes uh, first from the people, and Jesus calls us out in Matthew chapter 11. I have a slide of this. I'm just gonna uh, skim through this. Now, Jesus has gone, the, the word of God is gone, and he has performed miracles in front of people, and he has taught people. Can you imagine hearing a message from the God of the universe? I mean, he's preaching his own words, I mean, this is, this is God. He's, you know, it's coming out perfectly and fully. He's emphasizing everything correctly because he's feeling it correctly because he's God and that's how he feels and that's who he is. And he's preaching this and you're this close to him and you're seeing him and you're hearing him. And then he heals somebody in front of you. And there's many times in Matthew where it says they bring him all these sick and he heals all of them. And we're not talking about the scams that go on nowadays on TV healings where somehow somebody's foot is a little bit shorter and they fix that because it's causing lower back pain. We're talking about people who had like shriveled arms or had no legs or were blind, completely and utterly blind, and he heals them. He goes to city after city after city and he preaches the word and he heals people and this is what we start to see. The people start rejecting him. They love the healings. Who would not want to be healed? Uh, they even kind of are entertained by the teaching, but they don't want the healer. They're not coming to him for him. They're coming to him for what he can offer them, the stuff. So in Matthew chapter 11, we see that it says, Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Because they didn't repent. And the purpose of miracles are to elicit faith on behalf of the people who are experiencing these things. They're not done just to entertain or whimsically just um, show off. I mean, yes, he's God and he can do it but he's doing it for a reason. He's doing it because you have to believe and place your trust in this savior. And so he says, uh, you know, I went and did all these things and they did not repent. And so this is what he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Beth Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And he, he's just expressing this, saying, I cannot believe you are not repenting. I can't believe you're like, oh, that was good. Maybe tomorrow we'll come back and see some more. You know, what is going on? And then he lifts up this prayer in verse 25. And it says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. That's who's, getting, that's who's coming to him and getting saved. That's who wants him, just the simple people. You think it would be the learned people that would see this proof and go, it all makes sense. It all fits together. I realize he's the Messiah. You think it would be the smartest person in the world that would come to the, the savior of mankind, that would come to something that cannot be explained uh, by, other than the fact that he's the savior and he's God himself in the flesh. But it's not, it's not. And then he issues this cry in verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, you probably know this. He just says, look, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That was his response. The people, we don't see repentance. We don't see a big turnaround from them after this. So maybe the people rejected him, but maybe the religious leaders would come to him. Surely they had knowledge of the scriptures. They knew Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies, healing the blind. That was something that never happened in the Old Testament, but was prophesied about the Messiah. He would heal the blind and blind people are getting healed right in front of them. You know what they're saying? They're not saying you didn't heal him. We'll see what they say. Let's look to Matthew chapter 12. The next chapter, we're gonna see that uh, he starts butting heads with the religious leaders. We know this. Most of us have all heard this. We know the Pharisees, they're the bad guys, right? They were supposed to be the ones that knew the scripture. Uh, and it says, the Pharisees saw that Jesus and his disciples, or his, his disciples only actually, were uh, uh, picking grain on the Sabbath and, and eating it because they were hungry. And the Pharisees get angry and they say, look, why are your disciples doing what's illegal to do on the Sabbath day? Now, Jesus explains for five verses why it's not unlawful, why it's completely fine. And he just seals the deal with this. He goes, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the son of man, which is the term Jesus uses of himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. So he goes, you know, it's my Sabbath day, right? So that didn't start things off well with his relationship with the Pharisees, as you can imagine. All right, then this happens later in Matthew chapter 12, a few verses later, what happens? It says, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they, the Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now they think they've got him. They know that Jesus has compassion, that he wants to heal people. And they go, oh, but he can't do it on the Sabbath because that's kind of work, right? And so Jesus, again, explains for a few verses why that's completely lawful, while that's completely fine. And he seals it up again in verse 13. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so the man that was sitting there, whose hand was withered, uh, he stretched it out and he was completely restored, just as sound as his other hand. But what do the Pharisees do? Verse 14, they're upset. 
they go off and start plotting on how they can kill Jesus. The people were rejecting Jesus. The Pharisees were rejecting Jesus, the religious leaders. Doesn't stop there. Let's go on. This is still in Matthew 12. Okay, so then they brought a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. But when the Pharisees heard this, this is what they said. It is from Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So again, now this is what is great. They can't deny that the miracle didn't take place. They can't say that was a, par a cheap parlor trick like we see on TV. They said, well, he obviously did it. It's pretty obvious that he was very blind and now he's very able to see. He's got his sight back. Uh, now he's talking up a storm about how great Jesus is. Well, let's correct all of that right now and just say that he's doing it because he's of the devil. His work, these attesting miracles that he's doing are just proving that he's of Satan. That's what they're saying. Look at Jesus' response in verse 30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Then he confronts them, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is all in one chapter. Chapter 11, the people reject him. Chapter 12, the religious leaders hate him, call his work of the devil, and they reject him. They will not receive him as Messiah. You know, Isaiah 53, verse three, talks about this. It's, it's no surprise. God knew this was gonna happen. Isaiah 53 is a famous chapter of the Messiah. And Isaiah's prophesying about what the Messiah will do. And he says, he was despised and rejected by men. The Messiah had to be rejected. So with that background of understanding that he was rejected by the people and the religious leaders, now let's look at our text because that brings us to Matthew chapter 13. Verse one says this, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. And I wanna focus in on those first few words. Do you guys catch it? It says that same day. So Matthew has laid this out sequentially and he's grouped, uh, it seems, all the religious leaders and, and their issues together in, verse, in chapter 12, but some of those happened that very day. So more than likely, uh, it was uh, at least the, the casting out of demons or, or uh, the calling of a sign. Uh, and that very day, it says, uh, Jesus went out of his house and sat by the lake. Now, crowds were still following Jesus. This didn't dissuade the crowds from following him. They were still following him, but there was a problem with the crowds following him. So there were so many of them that they actually gathered on the shore. Now I've got a picture of the Sea of Galilee where this took place. This is the Sea of Galilee. And you're looking at the Mount, you're looking at the Mount of Beatitudes and you're looking at what the shore looks like. Now, when we go to Israel in 2020, you'll be on a boat and this picture's taken from the boat. And this is what it looks like. Now, the crowd would be standing, and the word for crowd here uh, is actually a term in Greek that means many crowds. It's not just a large crowd, it's several large crowds. This was a huge mess of people on the seashore, and they all stood. 
Jesus gets into a boat and he sits and he teaches. And that was a position that rabbis took when they were teaching the people. They would sit and the people would stand. And so he begins to teach the people. And it says this in verse three, it says, then he taught them many things in parables, in parables. Now, this is going to start our parable study. And so it's important to know uh, that this is the first time it's mentioned in Matthew that he, that he spoke in parables. Mark and Luke also has parables that Jesus have, has taught and John has no parables in it from Jesus. Only Jesus taught parables in the New Testament. There are a few examples of the Old Testament of, uh, of a prophet using a parable for a reason. The first one uh, that I always think of is Nathan and King David. If you remember the prophet Nathan, King David had sinned big time against the Lord. Uh, he was unrepentant up until that point. And God sends a prophet Nathan in. It's this beautiful scene. Nathan comes to David, the king, and just lays out this, this beautiful parable of this situation. And in one sense, it's concealed. David doesn't know what's going on. But he hears this parable and he comes to a conclusion, man, the guilty guy in that, he deserves death. And Nathan goes, that's you, that's you, David. And the beautiful thing about it is David repents. He falls to his face and just starts crying out to the Lord. He knows, you're right, that is me. Uh, and so Jesus is gonna begin speaking in parables now. Now the, the Greek word for parable uh, is, uh, comes from two words. So it's para, which means alongside, and uh, baleio, which is to throw. So put them together and you get uh, to throw or to cast alongside. And what that means is you're, you're putting a story out there that goes alongside the point you're trying to make. So you're giving, it's almost like an example in one sense. Um, it's a little bit more than an illustration, but you are throwing something alongside something else. Now, the disciples have a question here. Uh, we're gonna skip past the parable of the sower for right now, and we're gonna go straight to what happened directly after Jesus told it. The disciples ask in verse 10, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I was kind of, I was raised in the church, so I heard parables and thought, they're great, they're wonderful, they're kind of cute little stories that help you understand things that might be too difficult. Uh, but in reading through this and studying, the disciples are very confused about how we got to parables. And so um, they asked Jesus this question. What happened, they wondered, to the clear, simple instruction like the Sermon on the Mount that just took place in Matthew 5 and 7? You had things like, treat others the way you wanna be treated. That's simple, everybody gets that. How should we pray? And he explains it. Uh, how to give to the needy, uh, going the extra mile, all that good stuff. Uh, that's gone now. And now we have um, things like farmers and fields and tares and wheat and imaginary characters. What happened? What changed? Something's different. They're noticing it. And they wanna know why, why? Well, something has happened, something has changed. And it has to do with the people and their response to Jesus. And so Jesus is gonna answer their question. And we really shouldn't start parables without knowing why in the world they're there in the first place. Why did Jesus use them? There was a specific 
reason. Let's look at verse 11 and see how Jesus answers. He replies this, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So that's the short answer. Why are you using parables? Because you have permission to know and they don't. And that word given can also mean granted if you have the NASB Bible. Given, granted, um, that word is didome in the Greek. And it's the same word used in Matthew chapter 12, which happened also, where the Pharisees asked Jesus after that long list of, of fighting words with Jesus, they had the nerve to ask him this. We have this slide. They said, give us a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. Okay, okay, we called your word, or we called your acts and attesting miracles. We called them from the devil, but okay, let's be fair. Just give us a sign. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, um, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign? Em emphasis on, really? <laughs> Are you serious? Um, none will be given, that same word, didome. None will be granted to this generation, this wicked generation that's now demanding another sign from me? No, the only sign you're gonna get is of the prophet Jonah. Just like Jonah was in, uh, the, Jonah was in uh, a huge fish for three days and three nights, the son, of the, man, the son of man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he, he convicts them even further and he says, you know, the men of Nineveh who Jonah preached against they will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and someone greater than Jonah is here and you won't repent. You won't turn. Think about that. And he said, not only that, the queen of the South who came and visited Solomon, she will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, just to get some wisdom that she had heard about. But now someone greater than Solomon is here before you. And you won't come to me. You won't repent. Oh, you'll come to me for the healings. You'll come to me for the free food. You'll come to me for some entertainment, but you're not coming to me for me. So that we can understand why Jesus was calling out in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay, let's go back to the verse there, uh, verse 11. So the short answer is, why is he using parables? Because he wants to reveal things. And he explains it in verse 12. Whoever has, whoever it has been given to, they're gonna receive more through these parables. You're gonna get more knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. You're gonna get more understanding and that is the beautiful thing about coming to the Lord is that it doesn't stop. He continues to teach you. He continues to reveal things to you. Uh, he doesn't give you one little bit and say, that's all you get, that's all you deserve. You just come to him and he feeds you. And that's why we come here to learn from the word of God and get more of him and more knowledge and understanding of his kingdom and of the king. But look what it says in contrast. But he who doesn't have, who it hasn't been granted, even what they have will be taken from them. Even the little they have will be taken from them. The second point of parables 
is to conceal and hide this truth from those who it hadn't been given to. And we'll get to in a moment, well, then who gets it and who doesn't? That's the next question, right? It's a question I have. He's making it simple and saying, well, it's simple. The answer is you get it and they don't. They don't have permission to get this yet. That's why we're doing parables. And so the question is this, why do some get it and why do some don't? Is it because God's unfair or God's unjust? Maybe it's because uh, God doesn't want everybody to go to heaven, right? That's a possibility until we look at scripture and scripture says that God doesn't want anyone to perish but desires all to turn in repentance and come to faith in him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Ezekiel 33, 11 says that. And so why then? How come it's, it's been given to the disciples and that word also means, uh, it, well, Luke explains a little bit further that it was disciples and all the followers of Jesus. It wasn't just the 12, but it was all of them that were traveling with him and were clinging close to him and had come to him for him. And he says, uh, uh, this is the answer. It's really simple. He starts off in verse 13 and 14. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And then what that basically is saying is this. Um, they can see. It's not like they didn't see the miracles. Their eyes are working. That I gave them, that's working. Their ears, they can hear. Uh, that's working. Their ears are working. But here's the problem. They're not listening. And they're seeing, uh, but they're not understanding. Okay, so why is that? Let's look deeper. He pulls out Isaiah now and he says, in them, those on the outside who these, these parables are intended to conceal information from, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. You notice that? Why? When you see the four, it's because. So why will they not be seeing? Why are they not perceiving? Is it their eyes? Is it their ears? No, it's their heart. Their heart has become calloused. This is just the receptors, the ears and the eyes. The heart is what makes the determinations in scripture, biblically. The decisions and thoughts and attitudes come from our heart. And he says, this is why their heart has become calloused. They can hardly hear with their ears. Their ears are working, but their heart isn't. They're shutting down the information. They're changing the channel. They're saying, I don't wanna hear anymore. And they've closed their eyes. Who's closed their eyes? Has God closed their eyes? They've closed their eyes. They don't want to see. And this is what he says. He says, otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That is what happens when you have eyes to see and ears to hear and you have a heart that goes, God, I want you. I don't know how this is gonna work out because I'm a sinner and you are holy, but I want you. And look at what happens. When you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your hearts and turn to him, he heals us. We know that comes ultimately in salvation through Christ. That's the power that there is in coming to Christ. But he says, the issue is this. Let's go back. The issue is this. The issue is 
their heart. This is not an issue with their eyes or ears. It's a heart issue. And just like the Pharisees say, you know, give us a sign. We've seen you heal two guys in this chapter, probably in the same day. All right, now we're ready. Okay, give us a sign. That's the attitude, right? And that's exactly what the world says. You know what? I'll come to Christ. I just want one more little bit of proof. I'll come to Christ. I want just a little bit more knowledge, just a little bit. That's why I'm not coming to Christ right now. I've got to read one more book about Christianity and uh, opposition, and I really got to reason this out, you know? Um, I've got to go to one more sermon, then I'll come to Christ. No, no. No, one more sermon, you know? I want the time to be right when I come to Christ. I want to go to one more Bible study before I come to Christ. I want to learn a little bit more before I come to Christ. I want to hear one more testimony from someone who is saved, and then I'll come to Christ. And it's gotta be powerful. All of that is a smoke screen for a heart that's deceitful and doesn't wanna to come to Christ. I mean, that's, that's what's going on, guys. Christ is saying, you have enough right now. You have enough to make that decision. You have enough to come to me. The reason is the heart. It's not one more miracle. It's not one more list of genealogy. Who has that on their list? Give me another list of genealogy, then I'll come to Christ. That's a big excuse, come on. We skim through Matthew chapter one, right? I mean, what is it? What else do you want here? You know, he's going, no, you have enough right now. And he's saying, they had enough right now. Don't you dare try to say that uh, Jesus was being mean because he wouldn't give them another sign. Are you kidding me? No, absolutely not. They had no excuse. They had no excuse. He was even saying, look, this is kind of unfair for the generations before who didn't see me and repented. <laughs> Come on, you know? Um, and so they had no excuse. The time was right now. And that's what I would say to you here tonight. Have you been waiting to come to Christ? I played the game. I know exactly where you're at if that is you here tonight. And let me tell you all you need to know to come to Christ. Number one, there's a God. That's how we got here. Number two, we have sinned and broken God's laws. Number three, our God, he's going to judge the world. He will be our judge. And he hates sin, he's holy. And so he will punish sin. He will punish it forever, for eternity. He says, don't take revenge, because he says, it's mine to take care of and I will take care of it. Full just punishment for our sins. All of us have sinned, it says. Penalty for our sin is death. But there's a savior. You can't do it yourself. There's a savior. That's why Christ has come. This is the good news. Christ came, he did these things to reveal who he was, and he says, come to me, and if you will come to him, just soften your heart, turn to him, call on him. He will give you a new heart. That's what he does. Don't fix yourself up before you come to Christ. Just come to him. If you do that, he says, I will forgive your sins. I paid the price for them on the cross. I rose from the dead, and so you will be with me forever in eternity. And that's the gospel. You have that, guys. That's enough. That's all you need to be saved and escape the flames of hell and spend eternity 
with the God who loves you, who made you, who died for you, who wants you back, who wants to bring you to himself, who wants you to know about him, who wants a relationship with you. You have enough right now. Now, I want you to imagine uh, something here. I want you to imagine the original intended recipients of this letter. Who were they? The Jews, right? Now they're reading this passage and Jesus goes back to Isaiah and they know this scripture. And Isaiah is prophesying against a wicked generation. And he's saying, this is the last call. God's gonna bring uh, earthly judgment on you uh, for rebelling against him. And uh, as the reader is reading this, imagine being a Jew who grew up with this and you're reading through this and you're going, wait a minute. You're saying that this current generation is like that wicked generation of Isaiah? That's pretty heavy because I know what happened. They get judged by God here on this earth already and they get sent off uh, captive into a foreign land. Invaders come in and destroy Jerusalem. You're trying to say I'm as bad as all of them? And Jesus said this in Matthew 23, verse 29. He says that the Pharisees, he calls them out and he goes, you guys are building these monuments and tombs for these, uh, for these prophets who your ancestors killed. And you're decorating them all up. And this is what you're saying. You can look it up in Matthew 23, 29. He says, you are saying, if we lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have killed the prophets. That's what the Pharisees who wanna kill Jesus are saying. And he says, you guys have just admitted that you're the descendants of murderers. <laughs> he goes, that's all I need. Come on. So the reader is reading this and going, no, 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 no. We're the good guys now. We're not like our ancestors who killed the prophets. No. What this is trying to grab at in the heart of the reader is, yes, you are. That's me. That's me. You're, 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 it's your heart. That is why your ancestors uh, killed the prophets. They didn't wanna hear it. Uh, that is why um, everyone else, that's us as well. That is why we're looking at that and you know, we're going, you know, I remember my heart being like that and going, yeah, I wanted um, all of them. I wanted God's word to be put away and hidden. I didn't want the Christians to keep talking to me about this stuff. I was over it. I was sick of hearing it. Um, and so he's saying, yeah, that's, that's where we start off. That's where we come from. But this is what he's calling in that and revealing this to him. He's saying, look, is it clicking now? The Holy Spirit working through his word uh, speaking specifically to the Jews in this and saying, yeah, just like Isaiah, you're doing the same thing. In fact, by the time they were reading this, Christ had been killed by the Pharisees. But he conquered death and he rose from the dead. And he said, all part of my plan, all their wickedness, used it for my own benefit. So the Jewish reader reading this now, God is still revealing, he's going, is it clicking now? Do you know what I want from you? I'm gonna read it, Ezekiel 33, 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. And then it continues and says, turn, 
Turn from your evil ways. That's what God wants. Turn from your ways and live. So he's concealing from these people who have hard hearts. There's a judgment that comes. There's, you can't continue to walk with uh, a hard heart towards the Lord and just expect that you'll hear the gospel tomorrow. Just expect that you're gonna learn more tomorrow. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. And for those who have uh, just turned and come to Christ and received the forgiveness of sins, he gives us a new heart. And I tell you from experience, uh, my sinful heart uh, has been washed clean and replaced with a heart that somehow loves God. And it's incredible to think of that. Now I wanna go to church. Now I'm a pastor. That blows my mind. Every time I tell somebody that, they go, you're a pastor? You know, that was back in the day with me, like, you know, there is a God type of thing, look on their face. <laughs> this isn't true, you know, no way. It's just because he's true and he offers this. So he's offering it uh, to you now. So this is the purpose of parables, to continue giving to those who have a heart for the Lord and have come to him and to start withholding from those who didn't have a heart from the Lord, who in their hardness of heart were just looking for entertainment or something else. And we'll close with these verses 16 and 17. It just talks about the blessedness. He says, Jesus says, but blessed in contrast are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. Why? Because I've given you a new heart because you've been changed by coming to me. And he says, for truly I tell you many prophets of old and righteous people long ago wanted to see what you see and didn't see it. Just imagine the prophet Isaiah his job, he had, a, he had a vision of the Lord's temple. That's as close as he got. Holy Spirit used him and worked through him. But his job when he woke up in the morning was to go and preach to a people who didn't wanna hear it. And it was the last stage. And I can imagine him just going to bed at night, just going, God, how I wish I could see you face to face. I wish I could hear you saying this. I wish I could hear you tell me personally, right in front of me, look at you, touch you, feel you, hear you, see you. How I wish I could do that. Lord, give me the strength to be faithful. I will proclaim your word. And the reported death of Isaiah, even though it's not reported in scripture, was that he was sawn in two. Jesus is saying to the people who have come to him, do you realize what a blessing this is. There were many people who wanted to see this and didn't. And there's people in that time who didn't want to see Jesus and didn't want to hear his word. And it's just right there. He's saying, but they wanted to hear what you heard and didn't hear it. So next week, we will start the first parable, the parable of the sower. And we will dive in. And for those who've come to Christ, we see the blessing of learning more about the kingdom of God. But a change has happened in the course of Matthew. Now, uh, there's been some response to the rejection. And now we're gonna see that there's a turn that the kingdom of heaven is gonna take. It's not gonna come physically right away, but there's a turn that it's gonna take. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do just take a moment and just 
think about what it will be to see you face to face. Lord, we long to see you. We long to hear you. We long to see you as you are, God. We know that we can't in our earthly condition right now, but we know that one day we will see you face to face and we will be with the Lord forever. You will come and meet us and capture us and take us to yourself. We can't wait, God. Lord, we just pray that we would cultivate soft hearts before you, Lord. Every single person in this room started off with a heart that was uh, against you. That's how we're born into this world. Lord, somehow you revealed yourself to us through the preaching of your word. And as we turn to you, you gave us a new heart and a new mind. You changed us. Lord, it's, it's incredible. We know it's your work and not ours. Lord, we pray for those uh, who might even be in this room, God, who are at the, the point we were at earlier, who uh, are coming for a different reason and, and maybe now have seen that the goal is Christ, that you are the goal, you are the king, that you're not gonna reveal more to, about the kingdom to someone who doesn't want the king. That's where it starts. Lord, we just lift them up. We pray, Lord, that you be heavy upon them. That as your word says, we know that if they run to you, you said, you're humble and meek of heart. You said, come on, come near me. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy, it's light. You did the work for us. You're the one that changes us. You're the one that does your work through us, God. We don't have to drum it up ourselves. Otherwise, it would never work. So Lord, as we sing this final song, God, we look to you. We fix our hope and our eyes on you, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.